Welcome to the Biz Bros Podcast. My name is Kyle Nelson. This is my co-host here, Eli Libby. We wanted to make sure to match me really well today on this podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, nothing to say about that. Nothing to say about that. Hope everything's good with everyone out there in yes. the interwebs world, listening to us in the ears or watching us on the YouTubes. Mm. Um, great Very day. Good. End of the day podcast for us. Yes. This is kind of our energy now. Exactly. We're kind of like wired a little bit yep. and now we're just kind of but the podcast absolutely yep super excited too with yeah. uh with riff cold brew super excited just want to give them a quick shout out they're one percent for the planet members keep us very caffeinated during the end of the day yeah we're excited great beverage check them out the show <laughs> so today we yep. have a great guest we're really excited about um he's got just tons of different uh, experiences in owning multiple small mm -hmm. businesses um, and really helps with individuals with taxes and uh, wealth management and, and has this great perspective and views on pretty much how to make your money and, and make your money work for you and leverage it um, for life. So um, today we have Mr. Sean Adams. Uh, in 12 years of owning multiple small businesses, Sean felt overwhelmed stress stemming from the government and banks having control over his income. Speaking to the choir. Yes. He, he, consumer, he consumed hundreds of books, interviews, and courses to learn as much as he could about finance and discovered the ultra-rich had insider knowledge about protecting and growing wealth. Sean made it his mission to distill down these secrets and make sure everyone had access to them. This led him to found Leveraged Life Management in order to help other professionals leverage a time-tested wealth-building strategy of the ultra-rich. Whoa. Which we all want to be someday. So, yes. Sean, welcome to the Biz Bros Podcast. We're excited to have you. Yes, absolutely. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited. Oh, it's our pleasure. Wow. What a great intro. Yeah, I am excited. I'm this stoked. is stuff I be really want to learn. And I think our audience members listening right now are also excited to hear that. So, I mean, anytime we talk, people start talking money and then making yeah. your money work for you in the right way mm -hmm. <laughs> through the loopholes of yep. the legal loopholes and all that good stuff, you know, it's good. So, Sean, why don't you tell us a little bit about. Your life so far, where have you been? What are these businesses you've done? How did you start learning? Um, what are some cool experiences you've had? And then we'll kind of dive into today's kind of more focused topic. Yeah, for sure. Like you had teed up there in the intro, uh, my background really stems from business ownership. I was the uh, hustling kid around the neighborhood, pushing the lawnmower. Nice. And uh, when I was in high school, I kind of fell in love with this idea of autonomy. I remember finding out about this word like you're telling me I can actually carve my own path and there isn't going to be this mm -hmm. Catholic school pressure all over the place. Like in life, this, this isn't average. Uh, and so I just really loved being able to see how much opportunity was out there. And so the first business I actually started was a service-based company. We did landscaping and contracting work and it moved into construction management and some real mm. estate elements. And it kind of rolled into that. So I spent about the first eight to nine years growing uh, and scaling that first company and ultimately was actually able to sell that at the end of that period of time, which was a whole less ETH in the entrepreneurship journey. Uh, call it my real world MBA, right? Learned what not to do in business. Mm -hmm. uh, my gosh, it took me so long being stubborn and, and uh, hard headed to get some of these lessons going. Um, but yeah. One of the big things around that time was was financial education. I wasn't brought up in a family that talked about money, very middle class, was very comfortable, but just didn't have anyone on either side talk about wealth or that was even wealthy or seemed to know any of the secrets, any of the insights. And so uh, there was just this mythical uh, misunderstanding around money. And it was something that I had to learn the hard way that it was vital uh, to really being successful in business, but also trying to... Uh, 
build build something that was separate from myself. Hello? Shani there? There he is. I think. Shani, we lost you for a couple couple seconds in there. Yeah. No, I don't think. Um, are you there? <laughs> it, it kind of, oh, I think it's his side. Yeah, we're yeah we're tapped in right here. <laughs> I wish I knew what the one the cricket one was. <laughs> No. <laughs> I think it was. Nope. Mm. No. That is kind of appropriate. That is kind of appropriate. Uh, it's got to be one of the bottoms. It's going to be the last one. It's that bottom pink one. Hey. There he is. There he is. <laughs> yep. Much better. That was much better. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah, yes. you can I'm hear sorry, it. I don't know what's going on. I've had good Wi-Fi all day. You're good. Yeah, internet. Is, Chop that guy out. Um, so why don't you just start back? We'll, we'll, we'll crop all this up. But why don't you start? Um, uh, I don't know. We're, we, we were like, you were like 10 seconds, 20 yeah. seconds deep. Um, maybe just kind of start and pick up I, from... Uh, uh, said, I got it. You, you said you weren't um, around wealth. That's what it was. Much. Growing up. You were middle class. You weren't around much wealth. Lost you. Yeah. So didn't have um, anybody wealthy on either side of my family. Wasn't something that was even achievable or in the picture. And so, um, you know, when it came to like trying to level up and really become mm -hmm. something, um, grow, build a, a you know a legacy, passive income, cash yeah. flow. These weren't even terms that I'd ever even heard of before mm -hmm. I started reading books and uh, forcibly uh, putting myself around mentors and people that I wanted to be like. And so uh, it was it was really interesting once I actually flipped that switch and it was like, okay, if someone else has actually achieved wealth or some status that actually means by its existence that I can do it too. Like there's this reverse engineering that can happen. And that's what led me on the real quest on the financial education side to say, there's gotta be a cheat sheet. There's gotta be cheat codes to this, right? There's no way that the wealthy are accepting some of the realities that I have been uh, sort of downloaded from my situation, right? I knew that there was things I didn't know. Uh, and that was a big part of what helped me level up in the business. And uh, was a big part of what led me to selling it and wanting to share some of the, the education and, and light bulb moments that I had with other small businesses and entrepreneurs. Wow. That is awesome. Thank you for sharing that, yeah. that story. That was really I, in depth. I, I You hear it so much like when mm. people like, they, they find out they can make that dollar and then they can duplicate it just by like mm -hmm. the, the realization like, oh, if A equals B, then it equals money for me. And it's huge. Like I know that's with me when I was like mm -hmm. a teenager, me and my buddy had, we were like ranch hands. We're like <laughs> weed whacking at these ranches and stuff. And we're like, whoa, we can make like 50 bucks an hour each yeah. just by like hustling and doing it. And it was just multiplied. So I think when, when people have that um, experience early on in their life, it's kind of life changing and it kind of like, builds that foundation of like that DNA of entrepreneurship from early on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm always curious. I ask a lot of our guests that say a similar story to mowing lawns. Is there, was there something in your family or were your, were your parents entrepreneurs or how did you kind of get that, that bug for entrepreneurship to go out and start mowing lawns? 
Yeah, uh, it, it wasn't there. There wasn't really a uh, following and footsteps type of mentality at all. Uh, it was really my dad was into gardening. So I kind of had like a little bit of an extension there. But it was okay. primarily the fact that um, I started helping a neighbor out and then mm. my grandmother and then another neighbor. And then it, I started to see this scale fairly early on. I have to credit my parents of recognizing that um, one, my dad saying, hey, you know, the people that I know that are successful are uh, very great with people. They have mm -hmm. business acumen. They have skill sets in sales. They can communicate. They can knock on doors. They can build some charisma in what they do. And this was when I was like in middle school. And I remember that sticking of being like, okay, if I can put myself in these uncomfortable scenarios early on, it'll become comfortable. And right. then it was like, okay, well, now that I'm here, well, now I could have a thousand lawns. I could have five crews. And you mentioned this idea of leverage. And this is really where that first domino got knocked over for me. I recognize that like, okay, I could go mow a lawn myself, right? Mm. But then I could also hire someone to mow somebody else's property while I'm doing this one. And right. I was like, all right, now we have like this exponential element, right? Well, now what if I could buy a bigger piece of equipment? So not only could that gentleman mow yep. a lawn, but he could do it quicker, Right. And there was all these additional pieces of leverage that I could add in uh, that really started to move the needle. And it, whether it was people, whether it was a process or a system that I could replicate, it was all around this idea of leverage. And, you know, we fast forward to today. That's why I named my firm Leverage Life Management. We teach a very specific concept about cool. leverage, um, but it all stems from those really rudimentary fundamental elements of, of using leverage. I mean, it. Like you look at it that perspective, it's like mm -hmm. people, it's built into people, some people's yep. DNA. I'm just going to go back to that. It's, it, once you figure it out and you get that aha moment, right? Mm -hmm. It just, it, it's an amazing feeling. Yeah. And, and it just, if, as long as you can apply it and you can, you know. Yeah. That's my train of thought where I was going. No, I had something because I kind of felt like you were. No, no, was, I wasn't trying to speed you up. I, I, I wanted to just touch on something from your intro that I really related to. And I think all of our listeners, uh -huh. and I think you probably as well, is, how you kind of had this catalyst of feeling this overwhelming stress from the banks and government having control over your income. Mm. Tell, tell us about that one statement. Super curious where that came from. Absolutely. Yeah. Really quick story. There was one particular element where I was scaling up the business, got a big mm -hmm. contract, was super excited. I was a young kid. I was like 17 or 18. Mm -hmm. And I ended up putting this thing together and totally misunderstood every element of this. I mean, the, the okay. legal side, the contract, the terms, like every, I couldn't have butchered it any more than I did. Right. And so I was, I was way in over my head, ended up winning because I was the low bid. Surprise, surprise. I underestimated the whole deal. And I remember having to work for like 90 days straight to try to get all this work done. And I found out on the, on the back end that the terms were a net 90 pay, right? So I wasn't oh. getting paid until this, you know, three months from when I finished this work. I didn't understand any of that at the time. Long story short, I end up getting this check and I get the big check. and I'm super excited. I go yep. down to the bank and I, I hand, it, hand it over to the, the teller and I'm like, okay, when, when can I have access to this? You know, I think it was like 20 grand at the time or $25,000. And at the time that was like, you know, two, three months worth of revenue for me. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, okay, well, you know, I had probably already spent about, you know, three quarters of that at that point uh, that I had to make right back up. And the teller is like, well, starts asking me some questions filling out more forms. And this was just mm -hmm. a local bank. And I realized that like the money that I was giving them wasn't really mine when it got into their hands, right? I was conditioned to believe that the bank is this safe place mm -hmm. that will always have my best interest in mind. And it was just this mm -hmm. vault that stored this yeah. currency, right? Green my money. currency. Yeah. 
And that's when, when they were telling me that, okay, well, actually, Sean, you know, you you can have a portion of this uh, in 48 hours, but the remaining 80% you'll have access to in two weeks because we have to clear it. We have to do this and that. And it was all this complicated stuff. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, this is my money that I just earned and waited forever for. Now I've got to push back things even further. And it like almost bankrupt me in that short amount of time because I, I needed that cash yeah. so bad. And it made me start to peel back the onion and understand this mm. banking world. And I'm thinking ultra wealthy people are not making hundreds no. of millions of dollars, billions of dollars, then turning it over to someone else huh. to live on their terms. Like I knew there was something fundamentally wrong with that. And that's what started my journey in, into the financial education side because it was so painful starting out that someone had their thumb on me. And I remember thinking, I have to build a system mm -hmm. around me being in control of where the money goes and how this happens. And that's what I really started mirroring with the wealthy and what we build with our leveraged wealth accounts now. Wow, I'm really glad I asked that question because that was just a great answer. <laughs> yeah, you, I, yeah, that was perfect. I, I think it leads it's true. It's like when you start realizing like mm -hmm. you're using your money for this, so they can make more money, and then they can like hand it over to someone else because they don't got the money on hand. It's mm -hmm. just like this crazy just number system. It's like not even cash isn't even a thing now. It's just mm -hmm. numbers, and it's 100%. just like where's the money going, and who's bank, and how much money can we make on it? You know, there yeah. it's not it. Most banks, from what I've learned, is the client is not the best interest. It's their best interest, right? I mean, it's like, how are they going to make the most off of your money? Exactly. 100%. Yeah. It's like, which is king. I mean, cash is cash. It's, it's real value. It's right there. Anyways, there's my side tangent. We can go all day on that topic. <laughs> if, you want, if you want, guys, I can give you a, a quick snippet into kind of a little more in-depth on the bank side, because I think this might crystallize this concept for the yeah. audience as yeah. well. Yes. Please. Yeah. So when we talk about this, fractional banking comes up often and it's exactly that. It's the velocity of money, right? So businesses that are in the banking world are a for-profit organization. Therefore, they are in their business for the profit, right? There's nothing wrong with that fundamentally, as long as the clients get served at the highest level. And if, the, if it's not, then sometimes there's better options, right? You can have, there's all different price points in the world. You get to pick which, which one you, you pay for, right? And so- in the banking world, what most people don't realize is by signing up with a bank, whether you know it or not, you're actually get granting them access to basically do what they want with your money, mm -hmm. right? So they have to keep a very small amount in reserves, typically it's like 10%. It varies a lot, but conceptually what ends up happening is they're just a middleman. So right. they are kind of pioneer the concept of other people's money. And so I realized that it's not just the bank fees that they really make the real money on. They're in the business of making long-term investments safely and guaranteed, right? Mm -hmm. They have to have that level of guarantee. They can't go buy, you know, Dogecoin and some other thing and hope for the best, right? They have to lock in guarantees wherever they can. And so one of the major things that, that they do is they take our cash and their profits and they store them, believe it or not, in what are called bolies or bank-owned life insurance contracts. Most people don't know this, but they're these very, very large policies that they take out on mm -hmm. key employees and lots of different in the weeds details. But in essence, they are just a policy that they store cash in like another bank account. And those policies give the policy owner, being the bank, a guaranteed rate of return. And in most cases, it's, it's a minimum of 4%. That's an industry standard across. And you can look all this up. This isn't something I'm, I'm you know, just, just information from me here. And so the bank takes our money, puts it into investment, gets a 4% return back on that investment. And then what do they give us in return? Like 0.1% if we're lucky, 
right? Yeah. yeah. If you start thinking of this visually, it's a yeah. giant triangle, right? And they are the middleman who is profiting. And it's not that they're making a spread of 4% minus what they pay you. It right. wasn't their money to start with, right? So you're talking exactly. about two, three, 400% return on their money because it's your money that they're using in most cases, right? And so this is the light bulb moment for me again that happened and why the wealthy that that I was mirroring said, Sean, the idea is to cut out the middleman. Why are you fueling a giant organization when you can funnel that cash back to you? Wow. So essentially we all have access to that return that they're getting. I mean, we all have access to that mm -hmm. investment. 100%. Those policies, believe it or not, are available at almost any price point. And we have people right out of college that want to set up a small life insurance policy. And it's a very specifically designed type of policy. I have to reiterate this. You go down to your local life insurance agent, you tell him you're trying to do this, he's going to laugh you out of the room because most people have no idea that this even goes on. It's a very, very specific type of cash value, whole life insurance, um, all different kinds of ways that it can be done. Mm -hmm. But in essence, yes, it can be done by individuals, businesses use it. There's employees that are employers that take it out on employees. Um, lots of creative ways to do it, but it is not restricted to ultra wealthy or big corporations. They mm -hmm. just happen to be the ones that have taken it by storm. And if we have historical data back to the 1880s, uh, Rockefellers, Carnegie's, big right. banks, all have been using this for 120 plus years. Oh man. Okay. I <clears throat> I would like to ask a question. Um, if you were, <laughs> thank you. Um, if you were to zoom back and look at yourself uh, with that twenty five thousand dollar check going to the bank, with what you know now, what would you have advised Ooh. your younger self to have done with that twenty five thousand dollar check? Yeah, great question. Not a resume. The, the system that I create now is all about um, the, the, the way our money moves through our organization, right? So from a business perspective now, um, anything that you put into a life insurance policy by and large is with after tax dollars, right? Something you've already right. been taxed on or have a portion of it go mm -hmm. into. And again, uh, beyond the scope of work of uh, this podcast, but the idea being it's a sort of a diversion strategy. So instead of it going from our, um, you know, it being handed to us by a client directly into our checking account and it's mm -hmm. sitting there or moving to our savings, the way that our strategy works is it's basically almost like a triple play. So it basically goes into our checking account and then we move it right into a policy uh, where it's appropriate and it sits and is stored in this policy because uh, for one, it gets us that guaranteed rate of return. And secondly, it's it's leverageable. It's actually liquid inside those, right. those policies uh, via what's called a policy loan, which is essentially the, what the banks do uh, right. to be able to get the money moving. And so uh, I, what I would tell myself is to set up this system as early as possible. I wish someone told me about this when I was in high school uh, so that I could have been doing this because it saves tremendously on taxes. It gives so much more control. Um, it builds lasting wealth. It gives you protection, risk mitigation. I mean, the list goes on and on of the reasons why people do it. Um, but it's not conventional wisdom. It's not something that average people know a lot about. It's not in Dave Ramsey's latest book. So a lot of people <laughs> consider it to be wrong and it's just right. misunderstood. Hmm. Oh. Can you borrow against this money? You can, yeah. It functions a lot like um, equity in your home. Right. And um, it, it can be a little confusing to hear it in the first time, but basically the idea is you can leverage the amount of money that's in cash value, which is essentially what you've paid in plus the growth on it. So if you put in 50 grand over five years and let's say it grew to $75,000, 
you have access to that 75,000 via what's called a policy loan, which essentially like equity in your home, you mm -hmm. can say to the insurance company, instead of me withdrawing and impacting that 4% compounding I'm getting on my money, which is the worst thing you can do to a guaranteed mm -hmm. um, growth, right? You can actually get a policy loan against that value. So a lot of our real estate or business owners use this and they go, look, I've got to make a $25,000 payment into something for my business, a down payment on a property, what have you. They'll take a loan out against their cash value for the $25,000. They'll make their purchase or they'll buy their down payment. And the original $75,000 stays compounding as if you never took that loan out against right. it because it wasn't withdrawn, right? It was actually just used as collateral. And so this is where you start to see the exponential side because what's happening is you're getting compounding growth and think about banks, think about real estate investors. They're all about leverage, right? Mm -hmm. guaranteed growth here at a small percentage, leverage it out to make other investments that might give me a 20% return or a 50% return, right? So now I'm making money in multiple places. I'm not impacting my, my original growth. Yes. So, so okay. So let's back it up. The interview topic was kind of around like how people are viewing the taxes on that stuff. Mm -hmm. So like businesses specifically. So, so how does, how, what is like the tax breaks for these things? Like I know it's usually yeah. post tax money. So you're, when you pull it, you're not taxed. If you invest it into something else, you're not taxed, but it's growing. Correct. It's growing like at a pre-tax rate. Is that, is that right? Yeah, so correct. So you're paying in with with uh, after tax dollars. It functions very similarly to a Roth IRA or a Roth mm -hmm. 401k conceptually, meaning you contribute with after tax dollars. The money grows inside the policy at that guaranteed rate, tax deferred technically, right? right? So you're not paying any taxes as the money grows. As you take loans out and leverage the money, those are loans, they're not income. So you don't pay any taxes on that. Mm -hmm. As the money continues to grow, if you ever wanted to withdraw any amount, you can withdraw up to what's called your, your cost basis, which is basically what you've paid in, right? So right. if you put in 75,000, it grew to 100, you can take up to your 75 without incurring any tax bill because you paid in with after-tax dollars. Got it. Right. The growth side on there, if you were to withdraw that, you would incur a tax bill, but the way that we structure it, especially people that are looking at this for retirement or business uses, if you use the function correctly with the loans, you never incur a tax bill because once the money gets locked in there, the growth is tax deferred and is only going to be taxable if you withdraw it. But if you use the loan function, you'll never have to withdraw it. You don't need to worry so, about it. Yeah. Exactly. Unless, yeah. Unless for some reason you need all the money for whatever, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? But you shouldn't have to worry about that because you're, wow, it's yeah, that's all. That's fascinating. So, so go ahead. Sorry. Do biz can can as a business can you create an account like this, or is this 100%. just one hundred percent? Okay, lots of business uses. Uh, for example, we have people that remember it is it's a, a savings account inside of an insur uh, life insurance wrapper, right? Mm -hmm. So the savings account parts are what we talk about on a day to day basis because that's exciting. Mm -hmm. But the lesser known features are that it's life insurance, meaning that if what I can do is if you and I were to partner up in a, in a partnership here and we wanted to have some sort of buy sell agreement, which most mm -hmm. lawyers would urge you to do, mm -hmm. you can um, create a policy in which you both fund it or, or each other. If something were to happen to uh, Kyle or to Eli, you guys would basically have a policy in place that if you were out of the picture, 
the policy's death benefit function would pay off your contribution to the business, whether that was a spouse or whoever else you needed to make whole or your pay your partner back in some way. And so lots of people will establish the policy for this safety and insurance protocol, but fund it and use it like a savings account. Right. Same thing can happen for employees. So what banks do is they take policies out on uh, their major employees, right? So they'll have a CEO or a, a mm. technical expert and they make, you know, 200 grand a year or something. They will insure that person's life and their contribution to their company with a life insurance policy. If that employee wow. happened to pass away while they're working, um, they their family would be made whole off of that. But the business owns the policy. So- right. In essence, they're funding into the savings account that they get to use throughout the entire time. If something were to happen to that employee, they've got this huge death benefit that's basically a parachute to help them hire and replace that employee. And more importantly, they get full control over that because the death benefit itself is completely tax-free as well. So if and when you pass away, the windfall that comes to the policy owner is 100% tax-free as well. Wow. That is, yeah, that's a lot to take in there, but it makes total sense. It makes total sense. Yes. It's, you're right. Like you said, it's some it's stuff that's not conventional, <clears throat> but if it yeah. was well known, it would be, wow, that's cool. And Sean, you just picked this up. You, you, you felt there was a need or like a, a gray area, which you wanted your money to be, have more control over it. And you said you just went through books, went through mentors. I mean, is that kind of how you acquired a lot of this knowledge? That's where it started. Uh, I'm, I'm giving you a you know thirty thousand foot view here. This is this is complicated stuff. Uh, I'm not gonna lie to you. It took me years. It took me years to understand it. Even longer to learn how to actually sell and create these policies. Uh, it's it's not straightforward. Life insurance is very complicated for whatever reason. It just is. And so, um, it it was one of those things of getting validation from the market. And so I kept hearing time and time again, when I really dug deep, not the superficial crap that you see online, the mm -hmm. sexy Lambos and the day traders and all that stuff, yep. people that are building lasting wealth. And I really started to understand. And I kept seeing these buckets of, you know, my, my risk mitigation, my guarantee, and then my sort of fun innovation fund that I'm going to try. And I kept unpacking that safety and risk mitigation and the guarantees. And it always seemed to boil down to life insurance at some level. Not that they were all just using that, but it was in play with the people that I respected and wanted to admire. They all seemed to have it in place in some way because they needed the safety for their family anyway. They right. wanted to have transformational, um, generational wealth transfer, right? They wanted to be able to pass on their money without their children or their spouse incurring a huge tax bill. And life insurance is an excellent way to do that. And so it just was this great vehicle to help them. It's just a tool like anything else. And so, yeah, when I started seeing it time and time again by these ultra successful people, that's when I was like, I've got to figure out how to do this myself. Um, and then I started seeing all the applications out there. And like I said, it took me years to really get that mm. messaging down. And still it takes a while just to get people clear on it. But sure. um, for those of you that, that might be sports fans, I like to use a now apologies word forever. Right. And all the oh, there he is. There he is. Sports, sports, yeah, sports, sports. Sorry. You're good. 
So Jim Harbaugh, the, the head coach at Michigan, if you look him up, there's a bunch of articles from back in, I think it was 2016. This is exactly what they did. These are very, very smart people, both his financial team and Michigan's financial team. And they pay him. Wow. Through a life insurance policy, right? And the way this is huge part that you'll see very often in a lot of these studies out there from, from these type of examples. They pay him through life insurance policies? They do, yeah. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's something like his entire contract was like $10 million, $10 million over something like six years, let's say. They gave him wow. like $4 million as general salary. And then the remainder of, I don't know, whatever it was, three, $4 million, they paid into a life insurance policy that they took out on him. The university owns the policy, but he has access to the cash value. And so he can take a loan out whenever he wants for the income that they're paying into it. And he doesn't pay any taxes on it. So when you start talking about real wealth, right? We get over That's you know, half a million dollars. You're talking about an enormous tax bills these people are paying. Right. And so they have to get creative. And this is one of the ways that they do this. Your baseball players, football, there's life insurance in the backgrounds of all those contracts. We, you and I, the, the you know, right. back just as, as commentators, we don't get to see any of those details. We, we just hear so-and-so sign for whatever yeah, million dollars, million. a stupid amount. Yeah. <laughs> that's Wow. That's crazy. Wow. Well, I'm taking policy on you. Um, <laughs> so, so a couple questions before we wrap things up. Um, who are some of the authors and educators mm -hmm. that you kind of learned from that, you know, our, our listeners outside, of course, following you and hopefully getting connected with you, but um, that they can kind of read into to kind of start learning these right. kind of just mindsets of making money work for you and, and that good stuff. For sure. Yeah. And I'll, I'll do you one better too. Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll point to this, but if anybody books a, a free consultation and jumps on, I actually will mail them two of these books that I find to be the oh, best cool. sort of um, culmination of this concept that helps warm it up for people. So the first one, uh, the gentleman's name is Nelson Nash. Uh, the book is called Becoming Your Own Banker. And he, back in probably the 70s or 80s, kind of pioneered a lot of this stuff that the consumers use on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, it's a short book and it gives you some great insights into this. So that would be the first one. Uh, the second one is a book called What Would the Rockefellers Do? And <laughs> it's actually a side-by-side -side comparison of the Rockefeller families and the, um, uh, gosh, I'm blanking on, uh, the Vanderbilts. And you'll notice that the Rockefellers still have like 150 people to this day, like 100 some years later, still living off of the original person's money, J John D. Rockefeller's money. That is wow. There he is. Versus the Vanderbilt who. So he shows you the, the comparison of the two families over time, right. and it shows you how the trajectory of wealth transfers went and how the Vanderbilts went bankrupt and how the, the Rockefellers are still thriving to this day off that original money. And one of the reasons is the way they structured and used these types of policies, this life insurance. And so it's a great insight with a story and some historical okay. data to help wow. prove that point. So that's awesome. Wow. Uh, cool. Yeah. Those would be.
two books I recommend to everyone. Nice. Um, anyone that actually wants to see this in action with their own personal, this really helps you to get clear on the concept. Cool. Right. Wow. That's, well, that's really awesome. crazy. That's just like crazy in general. Just a quick little synopsis mm -hmm. on that book. Yeah. <laughs> 150 people still living on yeah. the same money. Yeah. That's insane. So um, if there's one message, a couple liners that you hope that anytime you jump on a podcast or you talk to someone that they're taking away from you, mm -hmm. what would that be? Not all advice is created equal. Mm -hmm. Be the first one I would say. Challenge conventional financial wisdom for sure. If you look at the financial education world, if you look at how financial advice is shared and distributed, it's sold to middle America and they take one message of a 401k or an IRA and they blanket it to every single income um, group right. and individual out there, right? So us as entrepreneurs, everything out there is about a W-2 employee, how to optimize your W-2, save more, blah, blah, blah. That is just not something that's applicable for entrepreneurs. So I would make sure that the advice that you're getting is pointed for a business owner. Do your research. Don't be afraid to challenge that conventional wisdom, get creative with other options that are out there and reverse engineer what the people that you're trying to achieve, like, you know, you're trying to mirror off of, figure out what they're actually doing, right? That's much more important than the person with the biggest audience or the loudest voice right. in the room. I think it's really important to give everything its own set of due diligence when you're, when you're applying, especially when you're talking about your own money. I would never want to talk anybody into getting into life insurance unless they were hundred percent clear. That's why we focus so much on content because I like people to have these light bulb moments themselves. I don't right. want to force you to do anything. You have to go, Sean, holy crap. That makes a ton of sense. I want to figure out if this is applicable for me versus me trying to convince you about right. your money. Right? So I think it's really important that you do your own research and you figure out what you're trying to achieve that ends up leading to much better discovery. Wow. That is amazing. It's true. I mean, it's, yeah. It's nuggets of advice right yeah. there. It's incredible. So, so. If someone wanted to book that consultation, get two free books and uh, hopefully like get their money to work for them in the right way. How mm -hmm. are they going to find you? Yeah. Bless, best place is go to my website, leveraged life.com. I've got all kinds of references and, and pieces of information on there. We have an entire free crash course video series as well. You don't even need your email to put in. It's li literally a link on my website. I have like 30, 30 some videos. It goes into all these different concepts. I have case studies in real estate and um, how you use this for wealth transfer, all different kinds of things like that. I always like people to start there, get the juices flowing. If anything looks like it might resonate with what you're trying to achieve, then it makes sense to reach out. We've got free consultations we do with people. We call them wealth audits. We just sit down and kind of unpack what they have going on now. You'll get a couple of free books to, to do some further reading, and then we can actually tee up what this might look like for you. So that's the best place to start. Wow. All right. Amazing. You all, all heard it. Yep. Sean exactly. Adams, you man, all that was heard it. That was a great conversation. Yes. I, I, I really appreciate you just kind mm -hmm. of dropping some granite, some just some insight just yeah. let, to let people know like you can get your money to work for you in better exactly. ways exactly don't be just thrown it just because you see tesla's rate rising up like let's yes. actually <laughs> yeah. actually throw your money into something long term you know? exactly love it well thank you sean so much for joining us here well, hopefully we can follow up and maybe <laughs> have an episode down the road and yeah, kind of fun. expand more into some of those other topics that we talked about maybe a little bit more in depth so mm -hmm. we appreciate your time love it guys thanks so much for the opportunity it was great to be here
Awesome. Thank you Thanks, so much, Sean. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the Biz Bros Podcast on any podcast marketplace out there, as well as follow us anywhere that you can find Biz Bros. LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, all that fun stuff. Make sure to see us and talk to us on the next episode. See you guys.